Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. We are in a series called uh, Home Run, Going Yard in Church. And before we jump into our teaching for today, I do want to remind you, if you haven't yet discovered the U version, an absolutely free app filled with wonderful resources. Lower right-hand corner, you'll open a menu, search under events for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find a complete set of notes for this message. Uh, also, when you're in your podcast player, likewise, search for Arlington FM, and there you'll find all of our teaching content. Well, uh, why the baseball analogy? What does that have to do with church? Well, actually, quite a lot. Uh, one person depicted uh, the ideal church experience in this way as moving around a baseball diamond. And uh, in this depiction, first base is meeting Christ, becoming part of his body, the church. As we round first and head towards second, it depicts growing as a, a learner, a disciple of Jesus, and beginning to honor God with our lives. Uh, rounding second on the way to third is uh, learning how to serve both uh, in the church and outside the church using our unique gifts and abilities that have been entrusted to us by God. And then rounding third, heading towards home, would be sharing our faith with others who have uh, yet to come to know the goodness of God expressed through Christ. And so uh, that's the depiction of the ideal church experience. You could summarize it as knowing Jesus, growing uh, in Jesus, serving with Jesus, and sharing Jesus with the world. And uh, you know, if you're a baseball fan, uh, there's nothing quite like the long ball uh, going yard. In fact, last week I shared how uh, I had one occasion where I hit one over the fence playing softball. Never happened again. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's often our church experience. Uh, God meant, intended for us to find our connection to his church as being uh, satisfying, gratifying, joy-producing, strengthening, uh, purpose-giving, now, all of those meaningful things are intended to happen through our participation with like-minded followers of Christ. Unfortunately, that's not often the experience people have with church. In fact, several years ago, someone wrote a book called The Rise of the Nuns. And uh, these are not uh, Catholic nuns. Uh, these are the people who mark on their census ballot. They have no affiliation with the organized church. And it chronicles this growing mass of people who still believe in God. Uh, many love Jesus, uh, but they don't want anything to do with the organized church. And uh, it prompts a good question. Uh, what did Jesus have in mind when he initiated this thing called uh, his church? In fact, in Matthew 18, we read, uh, I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. You know, according uh, to the mind and heart of Jesus, things he said about collections of people who followed him is that uh, the church would be a place where uh, the presence of God actually came to dwell. It would replace the physical temple, and now the dwelling place of God would be among his people. Uh, when Jesus spoke about his church, uh, he spoke about it being a house of prayer where all nations, all people, uh, very diverse, uh, could come, would be welcome, and would learn that they could commune with God and experience God. 
when Jesus talked about the church, he talked about a community that would offer care and refuge to the broken, hurting of the world as he himself did. Uh, when uh, the apostle Paul described the church, he saw it being made up as people that were called ambassadors for Christ, uh, people who were empowered, trained, and equipped to go out and represent God's good kingdom as established through his son, uh, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible uh, really has a high view of the church. In fact, uh, early on in the New Testament, in Luke's, uh, what's called the book of Acts, he gives us a snapshot uh, of a collection of Christ followers that were fulfilling all these wonderful uh, aspects of church that was in the mind of Christ. Here's what Luke writes in chapter 2, verse 42. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, and a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, and all the believers met together in one place they shared everything they had. Uh, they sold their property, some of them, and possessions, shared the money with those who had needs. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And as a result, consequently, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. You know, this is a description of a church that's going yard. And it's the church that Jesus had in mind. It's alive and vibrant and attractional. It's a church that's meeting needs in Jesus' name, uh, inviting people to discover the life that is in Christ, uh, helping them grow in Christ, discover their place of service, and uh, replicate and multiply their faith out where God has positioned them. Well, when you look through Luke's description of this church that is hitting the long ball. They're, they're going yard. They're, they're excelling. There's excitement and enthusiasm. You really find five elements that Luke has touched on. Uh, they could be isolated in this way. Uh, they were worshiping. They were fellowshipping. They were given to discipleship. They were committed to ministry. And they were engaged in evangelism, well, uh, here's the deal about these five elements, these five qualities. They work together. It's like balancing. Uh, it's like a, a finely balanced tire that when, when all the weights are in the right place, it moves the way it's supposed to and accomplishes what it's supposed to do. They create health. You know, I, I once had a brand new set of tires, and unfortunately, uh, down the road, I found out one of them was bad. Well... I didn't know it at the time, but when I got on the highway, the whole car started shaking, went into the garage to have them uh, give it a diagnostic, and the mechanic told me, your car's falling apart. And he began to outline a, a, a process by which he could fix it, get it back together, and the, the dollar signs were adding up as he went through uh, his diagnostics. And I thought, you know, it's time for a second opinion. Went to another garage. The guy put it up on the hoist. He said, hey, uh, you may not think it, but I think one of your brand new tires is bad. And he described to me how a belt can be uh, not quite uh, attached the way it's supposed to be. 
throws the tire out of balance and that car will never run the way it's supposed to. Well, all of that to say uh, these five elements, uh, this worship, this fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism, uh, they're, like, uh, they're like balancing weights. And uh, when the people of God, when the church that Jesus is building is uh, engaged in all of them, there's life and health that happens. Well, last week we looked at uh, this, this quality. They worship God together. And uh, we saw this one key. And if you didn't hear the message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to week one of this series. But uh, the key to them worshiping together is that uh, this truth was being lived out. Joy-filled worship is the only accurate and healthy response uh, to the revelation of eternal God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to read those words once again. Uh, Joy-filled worship is the only accurate and healthy response uh, to the revelation of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and the church that Luke described, that was one of the things that was said about them. Well, today we're going to look at the second quality, and Luke tells us they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves uh, to this wonderful thing called fellowship. And uh, if you read through Luke's description, uh, he breaks it out. They met together. They met in big groups at the temple They met in small groups in their homes. They shared uh, in every way with each other. They made sure that everyone was doing okay. They helped each other when they could. Uh, You might say they doubled each other's joys and they halved each other's sorrows. They took care of each other and they were committed and dedicated to that. They were intentional about it. Uh, Luke says they devoted themselves to fellowship. And uh, I would ask you a question. What's something in your life that you're devoted to? You know, you know it because you do it. You don't just think about it. You engage in it. Uh, maybe it's uh, providing for your family, uh, building your career. Uh, perhaps it's making money, making sure you've got a secure future ahead. Uh, you know, you're devoted to those things. Some are devoted to their hobbies and their interests. And, you know, uh, these are all things that we don't need to think a lot about. We're intentional about them because they've captured our heart and our interest. Well, uh, Luke is telling us that one of the signs of health of this first church that's going yard, they're hitting it out of the park, is they were devoted to their fellowship with one another. Later on, uh, one of the writers of the New Testament had to say these words to a group of Christ followers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, let us not neglect or uh, let us not uh, forsake meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing. But instead, uh, the implication is let's meet together to encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. What's he saying? As things get difficult and challenging, it's all the more important that we find ways to be together and support and encourage one another and not forsake or, or let go of the meeting together in the church. And uh, a good question to ask would be, well, why do so many people do it? Why do so many people forsake the gathering of like-minded Christ followers? Well, uh, the answer to that is there are really a million reasons. Uh, most of them are sad realities. Uh, people have bad experiences with church people. 
you know, uh, things get messy, things get complex, uh, people get involved, and uh, what was in the mind of Christ gets distorted. Kind of like that game you play in youth group where someone hears a message, they whisper it to the person next to them, next, 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 and by the time the message gets around the circle, it's nothing like what it started out to be. Well, unfortunately, a church can become that way. Uh, what began in the mind and the heart of Jesus, the snapshot we see in the, the first church gets distorted, and as I said, people get involved and things get messy. Uh, maybe you've uh, recognized this guy. His name is Terry Crews. Uh, he uh, began his uh, post-high school career as a football player, went into acting. Uh, maybe you recognize him as the host of America's Got Talent. Uh, I heard a wonderful uh, testimony uh, of Terry sharing the kind of the biography of his life and uh, some of the highlights or lowlights, if you will, is that Terry grew up in an abusive home, uh, alcoholic, violent father. Uh, he said his mother was addicted to bad religion. They went to church religiously, and uh, there was, the church was filled with hypocrisy. Uh, the pastor had multiple affairs with people, the women in the church, uh, sold drugs, and yet uh, they were commanded uh, to uh, go to church religiously and to live out uh, the expectations and the doctrines of that church. And uh, Terry said he began as a teenager to have this insight uh, that he still believed in God, believed in the work of Jesus, but maybe what was so bad about the church wasn't God and wasn't Jesus, it was people. And he said that revelation actually began to uh, create a space in him where he could continue to have faith in spite of the hypocrisy and the pain of a distorted, twisted version of church. And maybe you really relate to that. And uh, the fallout uh, that Terry describes in his own life as he went on is uh, he began to live a double life as he got married, had children, began to become famous in the acting profession. Uh, he actually uh, said he was still on the inside, uh, full of anger, and uh, he began to live a double life. He was addicted to pornography. He confesses that he actually cheated on his wife on one occasion. And when it all came tumbling down and his wife became aware of his fake life, uh, he, he literally felt like the rug was being pulled out from under him, didn't know where to turn, who to go to. And uh, fortunately, uh, Terry found a genuine follower of Christ minus the falseness and the hypocrisy. And uh, Terry found that in this relationship, he could be authentic, he could be himself, he could confess his messy, inconsistent, fake life. And uh, as he did, he found two things from this uh, brother in Christ. Uh, one, he found uh, acceptance. The other, he found truth. And uh, this man said to him on one occasion, uh, Terry, you may never get your family back. Uh, but you need to get healthy for yourself. Uh, you need to start getting right for yourself. And uh, he found that that was a revelation from God. It was something he could attach to. It began to, without any guarantees of things changing in his life, he could begin to get right in his response to God. And uh, you know, uh, that those words uh, from that authentic brother in Christ uh, those are very similar uh, to, re really, that's the heart of fellowship. 
It's why we need one another to help us get along in this journey in life. You know, we're fully alive because of our faith in Christ, but we have all kinds of brokenness and messy things that we need to get free from. It's kind of like I mentioned Lazarus a few weeks ago. You know, here was a guy who uh, he was dead, buried in a tomb. He was certainly decaying in every way possible. You talk about being stuck. Uh, but when Jesus showed up, uh, he commanded him to come forth. And here's Lazarus coming out of this tomb, fully alive in Jesus, but he's still wrapped in his grave clothes. And uh, Jesus uh, makes an interesting uh, move at this point. He turns to the friends and the family of Lazarus, and he said, you, unbind him and let him go. And again, that's a simple, essential definition of fellowship. It's why we need one another. Is, uh, we're fully alive in Christ if we have faith in what he did on the cross. But we need each other to get unbound, to get free, so that we can live into the life that God has for us. Uh, you know, uh, it's long been uh, observed that solitary confinement is lethal to the human psyche. We don't do well when we're isolated and cut off from human interaction. There's this dramatic picture, one of the Gospels, where Jesus crosses the lake with his disciples. They come to a, a graveyard, tombs, and uh, there's a guy there that was uh, possessed by many demons. And uh, as it describes this man, it said he was naked, he often ripped a tore off his clothes. He was full of self-hatred, gouging himself with rocks. And when the people of the nearby town tried to chain him, he broke the chains, and so he had this self-styled freedom. But he was living in agony and torment and anguish. And, uh, you know, that's a picture of what happens to us when we're isolated. The devil knows that, and I think his number one goal is to try to separate and divide Christ's followers from one another, and unfortunately, it's often a negative church experience that drives us away from others. Well, uh, we're told of these first followers of Christ that they didn't allow that to happen. In fact, the word devoted, they devoted themselves, means to continue, to carry on, to press through, to overcome. Uh, you could sum it up like this, to be devoted uh, meant to stick it out with one another, to stick to each other and not let go of that attachment that they had. Uh, they didn't give up. Uh, well, what exactly is fellowship? And why were the first followers of Jesus so devoted to staying in relationship with one another? Well, I'll tell you what fellowship is not. It's not golf buddies. It's not bridge partners. It's not drinking pals. It's not a CrossFit associations you know those are hobbies uh, some of them uh, may be good and life-giving but none of them describe biblically what fellowship is uh, fellowship uh, in the new testament is described as a, a sharing a mutual participation in something on, uh, of the life of god together uh, the benefits of, of god revealed through jesus christ uh, when two people uh, have responded to what Jesus did on the cross, uh, the Bible says there's this shared life. They participate one with another. Uh, really, it comes down to this promise that Jesus made. In uh, Matthew chapter 18, 
he says to uh, some of his first followers, uh, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Uh, this is an amazing promise. Uh, here's the God of creation, the good shepherd, the healer and the forgiver of our sins, the light of the world, the bread of life, uh, the one who after his cross uh, reveals himself to John, the beloved, as the one who was dead and is now alive and who holds the keys of death and hell. That one, uh, Jesus said, when two of my disciples, followers, uh, simple, normal people who believe in me and they're on a journey of faith, when they come together mindful uh, that they both share this common calling, Jesus makes a promise. I'm there with them. I'm there speaking to them, encouraging them, strengthening them, healing them, liberating them, giving them direction. And uh, because of that reality, uh, the first disciples were devoted to being together. They didn't want to miss out uh, on the beauty of what God does when people who know him come together in his name. Uh, it's kind of like uh, maybe uh, take the analogy of buddy diving together. They say you should never dive alone. You've got that buddy there in case you run into difficulties. And uh, you know, I've seen uh, examples where uh, maybe one person's oxygen would run out prematurely. But you got a buddy there who's willing to share that mouthpiece. You're, you're breathing the same uh, air supply. Uh, what a great picture of what fellowship really is. Uh, maybe another analogy. Uh, someone has referred uh, to what climbing uh, partners experience uh, when they're uh, roped up together. They actually call it the fellowship of the rope. And hear this description of one climber as he talks about that connection that's formed in life and death situations as they're roped up together. He says, you know, uh, you knew that your life was in the hands of someone else, and that person was likewise in your hands, and it made uh, you climb perhaps a little more carefully. You didn't push the envelope quite so hard, but it also gave you a feeling of, well, that there was an emotional, psychological bond between us at least as important as the physical bond of the rope. And that's why climbing with rope is, to some extent, it, it's a little bit more dangerous because if one person pulls, slips, and pulls you off, you're both gone. But on the other hand, uh, as happened with us in our case, the fact that we were roped together saved all of our lives. And see, that, uh, that really is what the, uh, the first followers of Jesus uh, they not only worship God accurately because of the revelation of Jesus, they were devoted to being in fellowship with one another because they knew their lives depended on it. We need one another. We will never go yard in our church experience until we open up to the reality of this common life that we share. Well, I want to end uh, by uh, referencing uh, the Apostle Paul, in this amazing letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, some have referred to it as the queen of the epistles, uh, so high and so grand is the truth that he communicates in this wonderful letter. If you want to uh, parcel up the letter, it's six chapters, chapters one through three, 
uh, Paul enumerates the incredible riches of blessing we have because of the finished work of Christ. When we put our faith in him, uh, all the riches of heaven are poured into our lives. Incredibly grand truths. Uh, Chapters four through six uh, spell out what we're to do with those blessings, how we live them out. And I want you to catch uh, Paul's uh, intentionality of pushing them back to fellowship. Here's what he says, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the peace through the bond of peace. Uh, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. See, uh, Paul is here describing the fellowship of the rope. He's describing that common denominator that if we've said yes to Jesus, if our hope is in him, then we have this shared life. In fact, uh, you could see uh, two sides of the fellowship equation. One is the God side. These are things that only God can do to unite us together. Uh, he says there's one, there's one spirit that infuses all of us. There's one body. We were called to one hope. Uh, these are uh, the common life that God plants within every single person who puts their hope in Christ. That's the God side. But then there's the you side and the me side. These are things we get to do to connect uh, to that uh, fellowship and experience the living presence of God together. Uh, here's what he says. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's something we do. We make every effort. If we do that, Paul says, by being completely humble. If you're like me, uh, once in a while I have a humble response to a situation. Uh, Paul says, take that glimpse of humility and make it complete now in every and absolutely any situation. We're completely gentle. Uh, We preserve this common bond by bearing with each other in love. Well, these are things you can practice at home. You can practice when you're with one another. Uh, We can excel and outdo one another in love. Uh, As Paul describes this, Luke gives us a snapshot of the early church. They were devoted to the fellowship, which meant being completely humble, being gentle, bearing with one another, knowing that they shared the same hope. As we go to prayer, uh, I want to get you to think about, you know that that first church, uh, before the Spirit of God came upon them on the day of Pentecost, uh, Luke describes that church as well. There were about 120 of the first followers of Christ. Uh, We find them in a room together. Uh, Think about that collection of people. You know, even among the 12, you had incredible diversity You had some uh, rough-cut fishermen, uh, tax collectors, uh, sinners. Uh, Think of them being in that room. Uh, Beyond that circle, you had uh, uh, some who made their profession as prostitutes. And uh, you had uh, just uh, others that were religious leaders. Uh, You imagine uh, just the potential strife, diversity, division that existed among just that group alone. And yet, as Luke describes them, He says they were together and they were of one accord. 
There was something bigger than their differences, and they were mindful of it, and it allowed them to open up and experience the fullness of God's presence that catapulted them into the kind of church that's going yard together. Uh, Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for the incredible design that you have for our lives. Thank you for what you've called us into. There is one faith. There is one hope. There is one uh, family of God that we're called into. Uh, But there's diversity. There's difficulty. There's complications. And uh, Lord, I I pray that uh, as we've all uh, had our uh, deadening at times, uh, numbing church experiences that we would not throw out the baby with the bathwater. We would not discard this beautiful thing called fellowship. Uh, Teach us what it means to be devoted uh, to one another, devoted to the fellowship that we can experience, that kind of liberty that comes as we meet together in your name and you use us to bring freedom and health and wholeness to one another. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, well, uh, so great to be uh, going through this series with you. I do hope you'll read a little bit more about it. Read through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Have a look at Acts chapter 2. If you have any questions about uh, the church, your own experience with the church, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me, Chuck, at ArlingtonFM.com. I would love to have a conversation with you. And then finally, before I let you go, I do want to invite you to partner with us You know, there's so many ways that uh, we need each other. Uh, One of the ways you can do that, go to our website at arlingtonfm.com, click on the give icon, and uh, there you'll read about how God uses our generosity to build up his church, the one that Jesus is building, and uh, we hope that you would join us in that effort, and we'll see you right here next week.